Hey, my friends. You guys doing okay? I was thinking this week about hiking. I love hiking, um, which is not a hobby that bodes super well when you live in Central Florida. Um, I grew up in California in the Central Valley, which if you've ever been to the Central Valley, you'll also know also is in an area that bodes well if you like hiking. Um, but it's close to a lot of really great hiking spots, which is fun. So like an hour and a half away from Yosemite Valley and some other really cool spots on the coast and the, the coastal range. Like there's some good hiking spots, but not in the farm country that I lived, unless you really like hiking through orchards of almonds, in which case it's the place to go, like a quiet. Uh, um, I loved going about an hour away. One of our consistent spots throughout the summer and the winter months uh, was a, a lake called Pinecrest Lake. And you could go hiking at Pinecrest um, down this well-worn path that went around the entire lake. It wasn't very long. Um, in fact, when I was like in high school, me and my buddies would go and run it for fun um, because for some reason I used to like doing stuff like that. Uh, and uh, the thing about this path was because it was so well-worn, it was really difficult to get lost on it. Do you know what I mean? Like it, the, the path was very obvious when you are on the path and, the path and it's very obvious if you're not on the path. Now, when you were running around or walking, hiking, whatever you're doing around this, this trail, it loops the lake. And about three quarters, if you're going clockwise around the lake, uh, right past the dam, you see a sign that says Cleo's Bath with a, an arrow that is pointing in a direction that is not towards the lake, but it's up towards uh, the hills into the mountains. And uh, it says Cleo's Bath. And, uh, and, and as a kid, I always wanted to go and discover Cleo's bath, whoever this Cleo person is, this wondrous bath that they must own, um, there. And I mean, I must've hiked this lake. I'm not kidding you 40 times in my life, 40 times. And I would argue the majority of those times I followed the sign that pointed you towards Cleo's bath. And, uh, and, and I would go in the, in the pursuit of this mythical location known as Cleo's bath. And, and, and on, to be honest with you, I, I, I don't know that it actually exists. Um, and the reason for that is, I, I kid you not, after hiking the same hike well over 40 times, and specifically the majority of those times trying to go off this side trail to Cleo's Bath, I have never been to Cleo's Bath. Uh, every time we would we would go hiking, it didn't matter who we were with when I was a little kid with my parents, growing up, going with my buddies, we would start making our way up towards Cleo's Bath um, but this trail isn't well-worn. And so it was easy to get turned around on and you go through a meadow and you're like, oh, is this Cleo's bath? Or you see like a little um, grimy pond and you're like, Cleo's bath. And, and you, you, you don't know where Cleo's bath is actually at. And so at a certain point, you give up and you turn around and you head back to the regular trail and then you keep going pretending that you saw Cleo's bath when you when you actually didn't. And so to this day, the only way that I've ever seen Cleo's bath is when I was prepping this message, I Googled it for the first time um, to see it. And here's what Cleo's bath looks like. Isn't that pretty? Yeah, Cleo's bath right there. Um, so here's what's cool. You now have as much experience with Cleo's bath as I do. Now, I, I, I could, I, I, now know about this watering hole, but I've never been there. Okay. I've never experienced it. And, and unless you have been to Pinecrest Lake and you know the way that I do not, uh, you haven't been there either. I've, I've, I've never taken off my hiking boots and rested my feet in the water. I've never swam underneath the waterfall. 
I've never dove off one of those small cliffs into the watering hole. In fact, I don't even know if it is deep enough to safely be able to do that, right? I know of its beauty and we can see the picture, but I've never experienced it. You know what I'm saying? Because I could never stay on the right trail. Now, there's a phrase that we use within our biblical community. Um, uh, it's this phrase, we'll say, that we humans are a forgetful people. Familiar with that one around here? We, we are a forgetful people. It's not meant to be demeaning or to say like, oh, we're the worst. Um, it's to instead just call it as it is, that we are forgetful people. That all humans have long forgotten that we cannot save ourselves. And we forget that. We desperately, as human beings, desire to be, to use some hiking vernacular, desire to be trailblazers. We want to be the pioneer who goes at it on our own terms. We want to take the risk, forge the new trail, get to Cleo's bath, because it has to exist somewhere. We see the picture of it, right? So each human goes off to blaze a trail labeled my own way. And, and we, we, we see the destination, or we desire the destination, and we can sum up the destination is simply uh, the sign reads the good life. Now, the good life to you can be different than my perception, my understanding of the good life for me. Uh, for, for some of us, when we think of the good life, it can be our attempt to try to earn our way back to God. That that is the good life. The good life is with God, but it's up to me to find my way there. We call this trail, this pursuit, religion. And then we, have, uh, we can have the good life trail and we're like okay i want to get to the good life but the good life is getting the fulfillment of all of my desires anything i desire and so we strive on our own way with our careers our relationships with our bucket list vacations with the stuff that we can accumulate the things that we can consume and we're like that's the good life it's when i meet all of my desires third one though is we can go after the good life which is a good life of our own righteousness that we, that we did it and we did it the right way. We cared about all the right causes. We reject all the wrong causes. We, have all, we follow the right rules. We reject all the wrong rules. And we belong to the right identity group. And we're like, yeah, that's the good life. Now, there are definitely different understandings of the good life. Each of us have unique ones or a blend of those three and many others. But whatever we whatever we presume as the good life, we all attempt to go after this good life our own way. We want to trailblaze on our own path. And so we believe these trails will get us to the good life, uh, Cleo's bath. And whatever we envision as the good life, whether it's to earn God's approval, whether it's to fulfill our desires, whether it's to prove our own righteousness, my own way must work. But all this assumes two things. Firstly, that we have the right destination in mind. So that's important when you're hiking, that you know that you have a vision for where you're trying to get to. The second thing, though, is that even if you have the right destination in mind, that you know the right way to get there. Because if you don't know the right destination and you don't know how to get there, what do you end up being when you go hiking? Lost right? You end up lost. You end up feeling further from God. You end up with a deep sense of unfulfillment. You end up with an internal brokenness that even your attempts to convince yourself that you are right, that you're good enough, it's simply, you can't shake it. 
you're lost. Now, for those of us who follow after Jesus, we know and we might believe that while each of us at one point went trailblazing, we desired to go do things on our own terms. Jesus came and found us in our lostness. He came and found us. He picked us up and he moved us onto his own trail, his own way. He came and found us, restored us, and now he has called us to follow him down his trail, labeled the way, which leads us to his eternal kingdom. But yet, but yet we are forgetful people. And so we forget what God has done in the day-to-day realities of our lives, right? When we're at work, we forget when somebody gossips about us. We forget when we are so frustrated by the guest in front of us. We forget when we get a snide remark from a coworker. We forget when, when we are filled with self-doubt and frustration and loathing. We forget when we hate. We forget when we forget what God has done, who he says we are. And what we do is we begin to stray off the trail, trailblazing again on our own terms. Now, this takes us to the letter that we are in uh, this, uh, this season, uh, the letter known as 2 Peter or 2 Peter. And you can go ahead and open up your Bibles there right now if you want. We're in 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, this is a letter that was written by Peter, which makes sense. And Peter was an apostle, and he was writing this letter to genuine followers of Jesus who have experienced the diversity of false teachers within their midst, who were polluting the beauty of their biblical communities. And so Peter is riding into this situation. Now, last week, Renaud was up here, and he shared how Peter's deep desire for these followers of Jesus is that they wouldn't simply believe the right things, but that they would live out the right things that they would experience what it looks like to follow in the dust of our rabbi, that they would experience a full inner life of faith and virtue and self-control and knowledge and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. These words, when you hear those, when you read those, don't you just naturally go, yeah, that would be great, right? Like, Like, who doesn't want a life that is filled with those things yet Our lives aren't always filled with those things. And so this beautiful inner life that Peter is writing about here is a life that is rooted in the eternal kingdom of God that each follower of Jesus is destined toward. See, this is God's grace multiplied to you. And so we'll continue tonight in verse 12. If you want to go ahead and open up your your Bibles there. He starts this way. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. So what are these qualities? In light of this, I want you to be reminded of these qualities. Well, the qualities, again, I'm going to repeat them probably a few times tonight so that we can really meditate on this. Supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. So these qualities though you know them and you are established in the truth that you have. So I want to remind you of the stuff that you already know. That's what Peter's saying here. Now, when Peter's using this word know, he is using the Greek word here for um, oida. Now, oida is a type of intellectual knowledge, almost like an intuitive knowledge, like when you're learning something new for the first time. Like that is 
knowledge in this way. It's base level knowledge. It's not fully experienced, not fully developed, not fully lived in, but it is knowledge. Uh, recently, I, I, uh, one of my friends uh, helped turn me on to this, uh, this, all these studies and books around uh, neuroscience and uh, spirituality and uh, scriptures and how these are intersecting realities. And, and it's really cool stuff for me. It's just like having me geek out and it's been a lot of fun. And so I have, I think I have listened or read to six books in the last two months on this. Okay. I listen at 1.75 speed, which is why I can get through so much and I drive a lot. Uh, so I have listened to a lot of words on this stuff. Now, I promise you, I don't remember the vast majority of what I have read, but I now know a lot more about this stuff than I did before I started reading the book. Does that make sense? But I don't know it yet. I know it, but I don't know it. You know what I'm talking about? When you, when you share a, a, like a dynamite sermon, you're just like, oh, that was so good. And you're like, I know it now but you're not living it. You don't know it all the way. Or you're reading a book and you're just like, oh, or a podcast series. You're like, that's so helpful. You know it, but you don't know it. And so that's what Paul is, or what Peter is talking about here. He's not diminishing the knowing. It's just the beginning of the knowing. It's knowing, it's if you're hiking, it's knowing what to look for on the trail. Like you've had a friend who kind of explained or you've better or more realistically, you have an app uh, and on the app, it tells you what kind of birds to be looking for on this trail, what kind of animals uh, to look for, um, what kind of plants to touch and definitely which ones to avoid touching. Like, like, you know this stuff, but you haven't experienced the life on the trail yet. You know it, but you don't know it. You're not the trail master. And so Peter intends to always remind these followers of Jesus of all of these qualities, knowing that they already know them. I know you already know what I'm going to talk to you about. Knowing that they already have an awareness of what God declares is good. But again, again, they know that this inner life of grace, of faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control, steadfastness and godliness, brotherly affection and love, that it is worth striving for. They know what he knows about that. He knows that they know that this is important. And so to paraphrase this, he's, saying, you know the trail that I am talking about. So I'm not expecting all of this like land on you like it's brand new information. Yet, you are never not needing being reminded. You're never not needing being reminded. You need this continually. You're never not needing being reminded because you need this. I need this. We need this. And so in verse 13, he continues. I think it right. As long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Now this sentence, I would argue, is the most crucial sentence to understanding this entire letter. Because this is his purpose statement. This is how we know what he is talking about here. Because when Peter is writing this, it's not as easy as simply typing out an email and pressing send. For Peter to remind them of stuff that they already know might sound over the top, irrelevant. Like, come on, dude, we already know this stuff. I mean, ink in the ancient world was super expensive. Papyrus to write it down on was super expensive. And then for Peter then to give this to one of his friends, a messenger, to now carry this from the center of Rome all the way to Asia Minor and Galatia, 
That is a long distance filled with danger, potential sickness, getting lost. Anything could happen between those two locations. That's a lot of effort to put into reminding people of something. Fair? And so why is he doing this? And he explains simply because his time on this trail is coming to a close. And yet, they will never not need to be reminded. Now, the word that he is using here for body is the Greek word for tent, literally tent. So a, uh, a temporary structure that is being built up. Now, Peter isn't dim dim diminishing the physical form, but what he's explaining is the temporariness of what is happening, what his entire life has been, and what is coming down the pike very soon. That his body will soon no longer contain his life. So he is going to use whatever time he has left in his tent to stir both them and us here tonight up by way of reminder. Now, other translations use a different phrase for this, um, what it says here, to stir you up. Another translation would say to wake up. Last summer, uh, I was um, working at Disney, uh, a late night shift, and I got home in the wee hours of the morning. It was, it was dark, but like the sun was coming soon. And, uh, and, and I get in bed, and I close my eyes, and five seconds later, uh, my eyes are being pulled open physically by Abby. Uh, it wasn't five seconds later. It was probably five hours later, and it was probably about eight in the morning now. But still, I my eyes were getting peeled open by Abby, and she looks me in the eye and says, Wake up, Daddy. Wake up. Wake up. That's so cute. Started my day off super, right? And um, But I, I knew that this was a cute and cuddly, like, daddy-daughter moment, so I picked Abby up. And I put her in bed with me and put her in the blanket with me. And I was like, Abby, let's try to sleep for another few minutes, okay? And it was so perfect. And she slept with me for four more hours. No, she didn't do that. Are you kidding me? She slept with me for half a second, got cute and cuddly, put her thumb in her mouth, and then immediately went right back to my eye and yanked it back open and said, wake up, daddy, wake up. She was stirring me up. I, I like to imagine, so that I'm not completely mixing metaphors here, that if, uh, that if uh, Abby was a little bit older and um, isn't going to lead to her own demise on a hike, that we're, we would be hiking together. And if I was starting to go on the wrong path, that she would be there and she'd be like, Dad, over here, this is the right path. Come back over here. This is the path. And that's Peter. I'm going to wake you up. I'm going to keep you awake. I'm going to stir you up with whatever breath I have left in these lungs. I'm going to use every part of it to keep your eyelids open. I'm going to remind you to stay on the true path. I'm going to remind you and I'm going to teach you to learn to rest in the grace of God that has been multiplied to you. And Peter, though, he, he brings severity into this, right? In verse 14, how does he end it? He says, I know that the putting them off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Now, that's severe. Most likely, this is a hyperlink. 
back to a story that's recorded by John in his gospel account in John chapter 21. And what he's saying here is that there was a point when the Lord Jesus Christ made this clear to him that his time is going to be running out. Now, what's happening at this moment in the story is Jesus is already resurrected from the grave and he's about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And he's been kind of coming back and forth to his disciples over and over and over again. Um, And then you have uh, the disciples this, this particular morning, they just fished all over the night and caught nothing. They caught no fish all throughout the night. They were hungry. And then Jesus comes. I love this image. When they could not catch fish for themselves, Jesus once again just fish for them and cook some breakfast. And so they sit and they begin to eat. And it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, verse 15, he said, Simon, son of John, Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John. John Simon knows who he is. Peter knows what, he has, what his life has looked like. Talk about an inconsistent follower of Jesus. That's Simon Peter. Said all the things that he shouldn't have said when he shouldn't have said them. Did all the things that he shouldn't have done when he shouldn't have done them. Abandoned Jesus in his greatest moment of need. That's Simon Peter. Inconsistent. But yet, Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, You love me more than these. And he said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep or care for my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And John offers a commentary, and he says, this he said to show by what what kind of death he, Peter, was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to Peter, follow Feed my lambs, care for my sheep, feed my sheep. You will die for the glory of my father and follow me. The most inconsistent of disciples, the one who continually tried to trailblaze his own way, was now called to go to follow Jesus and to care for and feed his sheep the way that Jesus had done. I wouldn't pick him. Would you? But yet that's who Jesus picks. And Jesus even foreshadows a dark moment that is on the horizon for Peter when he would die for Jesus' sheep in a brutal death emulating Jesus'. Now we'll get back to this at the end of this letter. 
but this is now 30 years in the future of, this, of that moment. And we clearly know now that Peter knew what Jesus was talking about in that moment. Because now he is saying, as the Lord Jesus Christ revealed to me, I know this stuff. And so for 30 years, Peter desired to not follow his own way, but to follow the way of Jesus. For 30 years, he stumbled his way towards Jesus, feeding and caring for Jesus' sheep. Read Acts, not imperfect. Read Galatians, not not perfect, but still called. Listening to that final command of Jesus. Follow me. For 30 years, Peter has experienced God's grace multiplied as he faithfully fulfilled the mission that Jesus had given him. I mean, just reading this story in the Gospels, doesn't this help color what's happening in this letter now? The purpose and the focus of this letter in 2 Peter. See, what Peter is penning is simply his last recorded opportunity to live out Jesus' calling. Follow me. Feed and care for my sheep. So Peter, he's taking that seriously in this letter. He's not wasting a word, even when it looks like he's just repeating himself. And so in verse 15, Peter continues. He says, And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these words things and anytime now he uses his phrase effort i'll make every effort now it's important to make an effort in life right very little can happen in life if you don't make an effort Um, but there are different levels of effort yeah so this last week i i over last week i've been trying to get a hold uh i've been making an effort to get a hold of my doctor over some test results uh that were just kind of routine test results that were taken like two months ago and, uh, and by making an effort, I mean, I sent one email and made one phone call and I did both of those because I was writing this message. Uh, so did I make an effort? Yes, I made an effort. But because the test results were causing me no anxiety whatsoever and they're not urgent in any way, shape or form, my effort level was low. Peter's effort in this letter is not low. He is making every effort. He is not shooting, like doing the equivalent of shooting them a quick text of saying like, hey, y'all thinking about you, praying for you. Have a great day. Winky face emoji. You know, like that's not what he is doing. His effort is every effort to open up their eyelids, to stir them up. To say, I'm going to use whatever time, energy, and effort that I have left remaining on this earth to follow the way of Jesus and to help you do the same. Why? So that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. He's saying, I'm not going to be here to feed you forever. I'm not here going to be here to care for you forever. And so I want to get y'all prepared for that moment so that you continue on the trail with one another, whether or not I am physically on this earth to trail with you. Now watch this matter for us. Because in this room, there are those of us who have yet to begin a journey following after Jesus. And, and then there are those who have begun that journey with Jesus. And we would, 
we would hopefully call ourselves forgetful people who get lost on the path from time to time, especially in the spaces that aren't, don't feel very well-worn. See, our human heart is to go back to trailblazing our own way, our own terms. Now, for those of us here who have never surrendered our lives to Jesus, though, this path of Jesus, it likely sounds uncomfortable to you. And if it does, absolutely it should. It's uncomfortable. But it's worth it. And do you sense in you that a part in you that longs for this to be true, that you don't have to go at it on your own in your own way? That your own way that leads to unfulfillment and incompletion and heartache and heartbreak. That that way you don't have to journey any longer alone. That it's possible that there is one who has come to pursue your heart and draw you onto his path. Jesus. Whether or not you believe that, is there a part of you that might desire for that to be true? For those of us who have been journeying with Jesus, we are like the original audience though, right? We, 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 we have woken up to a delight in this in some level, at some time. We know the trail. We've been established in this truth to quote Peter here. Yet we can easily be squirrel and then we just go. We can just continue to make our own way so easily. And it's crazy how such a subtle shift can make us think that we're still on the same path just for months to go by to discover we have jumped onto a completely different space. So that for us forgetful people, then how can we possibly walk in the dust of our rabbi when our forgetful natures continue to revert us back to our own way? The first step is we have to be aware of it. We have to truly accept in our hearts that we are never not needing being reminded. If you think you do not need to be reminded of the gospel, then good luck. If you believe that you can chart your own path and it's going to be all good, I, you're an adult. You can make that decision. Like You can do whatever you want, but Jesus' grace is for those who've been humbled to the point of saying, I need you desperately. And see, it's in the midst of our desperation, in the midst of our deepest need. I like the way that Donald Miller, an author, once said, he said, grace only sticks to our imperfections. You only receive grace because there is a need that you have. And when you realize that, you step into the, the reality of this entire letter that we need to experience God's grace multiplied to you. God's grace is his empowering gift that captivates our hearts and our minds to bring us onto the trail that he has paved for us. The trail that we were destined for and created for and created to delight in. And every day explore the depths of God's love on the trail with him. Now, when we talk about God's grace in church, that might sound like a nice concept and might sound ethereal, like it's kind of up in the clouds. But in this letter, we are going to discover means of God's grace in a number of ways. And in this passage, we actually see lived in an example of one of those means of grace. See, in this passage, Peter is actively demonstrating one of the vital means of God's grace that he has gifted us with. One another. 
Peter is teaching by example here. Y'all need me. But you don't need me because you need Peter. You need me because we need one another. See, we may not have the Spirit of God writing to us through the Apostle Peter, a brand new letter that was issued and delivered at the door this, um, earlier today that was addressed to the saints of Mosaic at Walt Disney World, right? Like, like we, we didn't get that. At least I didn't pick up that piece of mail. Um, but we do have the same Spirit of God dwelling within us. Dwelling in then one another. And that means that there is power in the word of God being expressed by the spirit of God through the community of God. And not just by what somebody says here on the stage or by whoever is leading Bible study on a Tuesday or by whoever is hosting a community group. It is wherever we are when we are with one another. When we gather together in a space like this, we are with one another. We are journeying on the trail with one another. See, we are empowered by the spirit of God to remind one another of God's grace. Because if you go hiking on your own, that's a bad, bad start. It's not going to take you very well. We need one another to pull one another's eyelids open. Don't physically do that, please. Uh, But like Abby can do that. It's cute when she did to me a little bit, but don't do it to one another. But like to stir one another's hearts up. To remind one another of what is good, right, and true. To carry one another on the trail when we are weak. To pick one another up when we have sprained an ankle. See, we, we do all of this with one another, his brothers and sisters, so that we can protect one another from blazing our own trails. And I need that and you need that. And see, whether we are gathering formally like we are right now or in the day-to-day realities of life, we can sit with one another in both in moments of anguish and grief as well in moments of celebration and when we are seeing God's incredible victory over spaces of sin, when we remind one another of our truest identity and found in Jesus wherever we are tempted to wander, wherever we are tempted to go, we can be the tangible means of God's grace to one another. Not because what I have to say is so wise, just like Peter. But because I and you, if you follow Jesus, we have the spirit of God to encourage and to speak life into one another, through one another. See, we're not meant to live lone wolf existence. We aren't meant to trailblaze apart from God. uh, the, the, The order of the day is you do you and I'll do me. But God's desire is not your independence. God doesn't care about your independence. In fact, independence dooms you. Independence is not what God has in mind. Now, absolutely, God desires for you to realize and experience freedom from sin and death. Absolutely, yes. But what the scripture is saying is he desires for us to be unbound by sin and death so that we could be connected, attached, bound to himself. We are called to absolute desperate dependence on God. If somebody says to you, well, I think that you just use God as a crutch. It's best to go come back by saying, no, no, he's not just a crutch. He's like, he's life support. Like I got nothing apart from him. I need him for everything. And because we can have absolute dependence on him, we are now free to live in interdependence with one another. That when I forget who I really am, I need you to pull my eyelids open, please, not literally. I need you to remind me of my truest identity and found in Jesus. 
please. When you are tempted to walk on your own path and you are tempted to fall into a number of temptations in your life, we need one another to remind ourselves to stay back on the path, to learn, to discover, to grow, so that you don't just stumble across the finish line into the eternal kingdom, but that you would have gotten to experience the incredible honor and privilege it is to walk in the dust of our rabbi on this hike, to experience life, light, and freedom in the here and now, and to experience eternal living from now all the way into the not yet. We need this. I need this. In fact, uh, on Monday night, I needed this. We had uh, an elder meeting, uh, our, our leadership team meeting, and, and uh, we were sitting in our elder meeting. And before we jumped into the agenda, we spent about 30 minutes in small groups in times of confession and prayer. And so we just spent time confessing whatever has been going on in our hearts, where we're tempted to go off on our own trails, all this stuff. We just spent time confessing, praying over one another, and reminding one another of who we are in Christ. And I, I, I was sitting with my friends, Selby and Rick, and, and while we're there, I'm confessing to them this shallowness in my intimacy with God I've been experiencing. And just like how, how, shame, how, how filled with shame I am about it. And like the things that I, I, I feel like I'm holding on to tied to and refusing to let go. And, and, and Selby, and I don't know if I'm going to, I can't imagine I'm going to forget this one for a while, but Selby looks me in the eyes. And, and he has like tears welling up in his eyes and all. And so that makes me start having tears welling up in my eyes. And, and he looks at me and he says, Danny, I know you don't always feel like the father is near, but you look a lot like him. And then I started welling up. Now, I share that not because, and what I mean by that is like God's character. But I, I am becoming more into the image of God. Now, I share that because I don't usually feel like that is true. I don't think I look anything like my father most of the time. Um, I think a lot of you, those of you I know in the room, I think most of you guys look a lot more like the father than I do. But for me, I know my heart. It's prone to wander. It's prone to try to skip town and go on my own trail so quick, so easily. But I needed my brother on Monday night to remind me of who I truly am, regardless of how I feel in the moment, because I am not what I feel. And neither are you. We need one another for the journey. To be reminded of who you are, whose you are, what you are called to do in light of that identity, what you are called to not do in light of that identity. See, I'm convinced that if you and I know who we truly are in Jesus, then we will know how to think, how to feel, how to act, what it looks like to live life on this trail. So if we are to do this, we need one another. So who are you going to invite on the journey with you? Who do you have now? Who have you let into this? Who do you give space to speak words of truth and grace into your heart, your mind, and your soul? Let's hike together. Doesn't mean you have to let everyone into every nook and cranny of your life, but there should be no part of your life that nobody has access to. Because the eternal kingdom is near, the way is worth it, and we have one another for the journey. I want to bring back up that image of Cleo's bath one last time, because it's so pretty, right? One of these days I'm going to hike there. I, I'm going to make it there, and I'll let you know when I do. It's going to be great. Uh, perhaps I'll find whoever took this picture because it wasn't me. And, uh, and I'll ask that person to lead me on the way there. 
Because if I try to, I, I now know better than to try to do it on my own. Because I'm never not needing reminding. And I'd say the same for you. And so tonight we're now going to move into a space of reminding. To be reminded, to recall these things. We're going to do this through communion. See, communion is a replay of Jesus' last meal with his disciples before he went to the cross, where he explained that his body would be broken like bread, that his blood of life would be poured out like wine. Jesus said that as often as you take of the bread and you drink of the cup, that you were to do this in remembrance of me. It's like remembering is an important thing as if we are forgetful people who need to remember recall these things. So when we take communion, we get the chance to be stirred up by one another in our attachment with God, to be reminded of what is true when we are tempted to believe what is false, to be reminded of the trail of Jesus when our trail seems so appealing and comfortable. So tonight we're going to take part in communion together. We're going to do it a little bit different than I think we've ever done it up till now. That we would be reminded so that we would recall these things. So what we're going to do is um, we have two stations in the back, one on each side, and you're going to find um, rolls, uh, and there are gluten-free options at both corners as well, and there are cups of grape juice. And so what you're going to do is uh, I'm going to ask you to get up in a few moments and take a roll and a cup of juice and simply come and bring it back to your seat. And what I wanted to do is I want to invite all of you who desire to proclaim and remember Jesus tonight to participate with us in communion. If you're here tonight and you still have questions about all this Jesus stuff, please feel free to simply sit and observe as, as we seek to be reminded and proclaim this. Uh, don't feel awkward. Uh, I, at least I would hope you wouldn't feel awkward at all. Um, just simply observe. For everyone, what I'm going to ask, though, is that you take a brief moment to sit in a time of confession, allowing the Spirit of God to bring to your mind anything from your from your weeks of the past in your present moment, just asking God, is there anything that's going on in me that I just need to bring to, to your attention? I need to need your reconciliation. In. So I want you to confess those things and then simply go get your the elements of communion, then bring them back to your seat. And what we're going to do together is we're going to recall these things. So simply bow your head and pray. And then when you are ready, go ahead and get up and go get the elements after a brief prayer. 